The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. LinkedIn presents. My challenge, though, is to choose the one field of work or focus. Do I have to choose one? Today's listener, Hilda, asks an interesting question that we know a lot of multi-passionate folks ask themselves. Do you have to choose one area to focus on or specialize in? Well, our listener shares her experience of taking the leap into coaching and entrepreneurship and it not going quite as smoothly as she hoped. And now back in the corporate space and bolstered by the leadership feedback loop, she's plotting her next move. And she poses this query. If you're marketing yourself as a coach or mentor, do you need to have a niche or special area of interest, or can you embrace the multi-passionate approach? And on deck with me this week from the Sparked Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is strategic advisor and executive coach, founder of the Productive Flourishing Consultancy and author of the multi-award-winning book, Start Finishing, Charlie Gilkey. So quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call the Sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. And when you discover yours, everything, work, life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they just make more sense. Until you know it, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Hill's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hey, I am Hilda from Norway, and I go by the pronouns she, her. Choosing the one, as in choosing the one field of interest for work, that is my challenge. I am multi-passionate, and I find it hard to choose. And I think I have made it even a bigger problem than maybe what it is. But it's been holding me back for years. Sparkotype-wise, I'm advisor sage as my primary shadow, and my anti is maker and essentialist. And yes, I'm saying both because, oh, well, I have done the test several times and it turns out maker and essentialist comes every second time. But it's very, very true, I think. I have worked in the corporate world for decades and there's a lot of good things to that. And I've been I've been led to lead and I love that side of it. I love to bring out the best in others. And I see the employees as really asset in any company. And when I can spend time bringing out the best in them, it's a win-win for everybody. So that's been a plus. Yet I have been burnt out and really depleted because I've had to spend a lot of my time also doing typical process and detailed oriented work. And it isn't my thing. All these years, though, a stronger and stronger. There's been a burning nudge inside of me. There's something else I'm meant to be doing. And it's been very, very clear to me. Up on stage, guiding, facilitating, mentoring, coaching. It's been clear because I love those things. So I have trained as a coach in different, different modalities, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And I've done this on the side and I've loved it. And so back in 2020, it was like, I've had enough. I said, well, screw it. I'm jumping. I am doing my own thing now. And I did without a safety net, without a plan. And I kind of fell flat on my face 
if I can be honest, it didn't go all that well. Because all I knew is I wanted to coach and mentor. That was very clear, but the rest wasn't all that clear. It's almost like I had ignored the fact that I needed to find the clients and make the programs, make the courses and speeches and packages and marketing. And I was, I was so resistant to it. I just couldn't get myself to do it. And so I did, I didn't feel all that much ignited. I thought this was my dream and it just didn't come out that way. I did a lot of voluntary work though, during that time. And I loved it. I could coach and guide and mentor and instruct. And it was all great. And I know I made a great impact and I helped a lot of people, but it didn't bring any money to the bank, did it? So I went back to the corporate world this January. It is a familiar place. And now I have the interactions again. I have a feedback loop. I have variations. I get to lead. And so I see it as a new phase of growing and facing challenges and, and, and getting more intellectual stimulated as well. So that's, that's fine. Yet the nudge is still inside of me. I know I'm meant to do something else. And my challenge though is to choose the one field of work or focus. Do I have to choose one? It's my question. Or is it okay to be multi-passionate? Because I, I am passionate about health, mental, physical, spiritual, about femininity, leadership, sexuality, communication, relationships, developing countries, environment, NGOs, finding your passion, finding your voice. I mean, all the things. And I don't really want to choose. So I'm asking you kindly, if you could, if you can enlighten me with some guidance on that, please. I don't think I'm the only one who could benefit from hearing that. I would be so delighted if you could share some light on that. Thank you so much. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Okay, Charlie. So at various points along that setup, I saw you nodding. I saw you smiling. I saw you taking notes. I saw you shaking your head like vociferously. No, 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 no. <laughs> I saw you <laughs> nodding again. I saw you going through like these many cycles. Um, I'm guessing that there are multiple things spinning through your head when we think about the circumstance and the questions that Hilda shared with us. Give me some big picture take before we like dive into the weeds a little bit. Yeah, I would say there's maybe three macro takes here. One is the confusion between interest versus passion versus career, right? And so I think Hilda's put all of those into one bucket and they don't need to be in one bucket. I think the second piece that she brought out is the difference between the craft and the business of the craft. And that trips up a lot of people. So she fell into a very common sort of pathway there. And then the third is, I think it's the urge thing is something that I want to come back to because I think it's sort of the grass is greener problem, right? Um, coming up on that side. But I, I wondered before we really dove into those a little bit more, if we wanted to do 
the Sparkatite setup and really talk about the advisor sage thing and how that might play out. Yeah, I, I think I would love. And then let's sort of like dive into your your three buckets, because the, those were kind of the three things that initially really jumped out at me too. And I think we, we probably could do an entire episodes on each, each one of those here. So Hilda shared that her primary and her shadow Sparkatite, meaning the strongest impulse for work that makes you come alive and the kind of runner up or second place were advisor sage. So the advisor impulse, well, that's all about guiding others through a process of growth. It's a very relational impulse. Um, so a lot of the fulfillment, the satisfaction happens not just from helping somebody get to that point that they strive to be, but just from walking beside them, from being in relationship with them as it's happening, whether they ever get to that sort of like final point that they envisioned or not. So much of the satisfaction, the nourishing part of it is being with them along the way, guiding, mentoring, reflecting, all of these things. So deeply relational. It tends to really show up in a way that's powerful and intimate um, and sustained over time. The sage impulse, which is that sort of runner-up, what we call the shadow, that's all about illumination is the word that we tend to really strongly associate. It's not enough to know something as a sage. The real fire comes when you turn around and share what you know, and not just by transmitting information, but by actually seeing the lights of understanding, of comprehension, of synthesis, of integration flicker on in those that you're sharing with. So it's not just about blasting out what you know, it's about sharing in a way where it transforms into genuine wisdom and insight on the other side of the experience. So when you bundle those two together, it's really interesting because you have these complementary impulses to both create an intimate, sustained, long-term relationship and guide in a very personal, interactive way and create a safe container for comprehension and growth. And at the same time, you have an impulse to share very specific intel along the way. Now, on the one hand, on the surface, that would seem like what a perfect and complementary set of impulses. But if you dig underneath that in a little bit of a more nuanced way, those impulses can sometimes battle with each other because the advisor is all about holding the container and eliciting insight from the person or the group or the team or the community that you're working with so that it feels like it's more you know, like sui generis. It's coming from them. Your job is to create a safe container and then really have a mastery over or a high level uh, command over social dynamics and prompts and questions and frameworks that would allow the insight to come from the other person. Whereas the sage's impulse is to say, I got a secret. Like I know the answer and I want to tell you. And I want to tell you exactly what I know and I want to tell you exactly what to do. So sometimes there can be a bit of tension between the expression of these two things because one just wants to tell you and the other knows that that can sometimes not be the most constructive way to be of service. So that's sort of like the the, the fundamental setup for these things. You're nodding along. Like, a, do you have some more stuff to weave in there? Yeah, well, that was what I was seeing too, but I was also seeing the anti-spark stuff come up, especially yeah. that maker and the essentialist and how on the I got a secret side from the sage is like, well... At a certain point, if you're not in this sort of advisory capacity, you got to make a thing like you got like there has to be a way for you to share and transmit that secret if you're blocking the social advisory side of it. But then you're playing with that essentialist side of it. And it's like, well, but I don't want to choose just one thing. I want to tell you all the secrets. <laughs> right. And then you end up becoming that sort of walking stew pot of a bunch of ideas that don't seem to fit together very well. Not yeah. that I know anything about that. No, neither of us, right? Um, so it's interesting because then what sort of like Hilda describes as this 
sort of persistent inner tension, which sort of like leads to sometimes inaction or confusion. What path do I take? It actually really all lines up with the inner tension and potential conflicts that get set up by her fundamental impulses for how she wants to show up and do the work, contribute to the world. So I think I think that feels like a good a good foundation for us to dive into those three buckets that you introduced. Yeah, that, I think that's a great foundation, and I think you know it, it's one of those things to where. I'm going to start with that that yearning that she has of, of something different, sort of the grass is greener, you know, sort of scenario. And the thing about that is the more wide ranging your interest, the more wide ranging your passions, the more incomplete you're always going to feel, right? It's just a part of the burden because you see the connections between this thing and this other thing, and then you'll create the connection, you'll connect the dots, you'll see more dots. You'll see more dots. And so there's always this incompleteness. There's always there's like something on the other side. Now, you can see that as a problem or you can see that as an, as an opportunity, right? And depending upon your approach there, like determines what you're going to get. And so I would really want to dive into that yearning because it, it almost sounds like it's like that trap we get into as creators and change makers where it's like, I just want to do the change making thing that I do. I just want to be the coach. I don't want to do the meetings. I don't want to do the writing. I don't want to do all the other stuff that it takes just to do that one thing. And I get that urge, but if your level of satisfaction with life and your career and your craft is determined by whether you do that one thing 80% of the time or not, I hate to tell you, you're probably going to be unsatisfied, right? Um, Because even for those of us who have spent decades building our life around our thing, it's still oftentimes, and in seasons of a year or seasons in a project, not the main thing that we do every day. And it's frustrating. Like, I wish right in this moment with everything going on that I spent 60, 80% of my time writing and making stuff. That's not where I am right now, but I'm exactly where I need to be when it comes to so many other things, right? And so that's what I really want Hilda to play with is, is the yearning really about all the other distractions, quote unquote, that she has to get into to be able to do her thing? Is it that she's not able to do the thing in a way that's value aligned? There's something there that I want to remove away from the idea that she has to have another career. Because it sounds like with some re-intentioning, she might be in a good place to actually be a great advisor and to be a great sage if she leans into that more and understands that even you know, the best of us or the people who are super focused on this don't spend as much time on that one thing as you might think. And this is where I think thinking about folks like Stephen King, if you've read on writing and you sort of read like he writes from like eight to three and then he takes off. But like if you really pay attention, about four hours of that is writing. And three hours of that is admin. And that's Stephen King. I know, Jonathan, you've recently interviewed James Patterson. I would be interested to see what his flow is like. But that's just one thing that I want to talk about is like, what's this yearning from? And make sure you don't make it that it's like how much, how what percentage of your time you're spending doing that essential craft versus the things that it takes to be able to create that magic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an important point. Um, and the fact that there's either the maker or essentialist or like like that, those tend to be on the side of, of her impulse that is the heaviest lift takes the most energy out of her also speaks to this interesting tension. So many of us feel like, okay, so for us to fully express our primary and our shadow on a level and in a way that we, we really want to, we need to create our own 
engine for that. We need to step out. We need to be on our own. We need to actually have full control over the process. Well, A, we never have full control over anything. We are always in service of those we serve. They are our bosses forever. Um, so even when we own our own business, we are not the boss. Our consumer, our client, our customer is our boss. They tell us what what is working and what is not and what we can and can't do. So, But also the other thing is when, especially you have either or the essentialist or the maker as your anti-sparkotype, those are fundamental impulses that are sort of like necessary for you to spend time in to create and sustain your own endeavor. They, It's like you're saying, it's the work that may be emptying for you, but it's also the work that you're oftentimes um, without realizing it's saying yes to when you leave the construct of a larger organization, their structure, their support, their systems, their operations. And we don't like that. I don't like it. My anti-sparkotype is the essentialist, right? Um, so there's all, but, and my primary is a maker. So I make stuff all day, every day. I really, really, really struggle with the part that says organize systems, process, order from chaos. Um, and for years as a bootstrapped entrepreneur, you know, like I would have to take on a lot of that myself. Over time, I've learned that as, as soon as I'm well enough resourced in my own entity or organization, those often are sort of like the, the things that I look um, to uh, share with people who do have that impulse. It does create this tension because we have a yearning to do this thing, to really fully express it. Very often we feel like to do it in the way that is fully us, we're going to need to do it on our own. And yet saying I'm going to do something on my own is also necessarily saying yes to the work of the maker, to the work of the essentialist, to the work of all these other things, which are not the things that come naturally to us and often deplete us. So part of what I was wondering, and also without getting to Hilda's question about sort of like the, the list of things that she's passionate about, I think that's another conversation that we'll, we'll, we'll speak to. Is there a pen, like, what if you sort of like swapped on this hat and said, okay, so if I actually assume that the, probably the most straightforward way, the easiest way for me to actually just be able to express my primary and my shadow without having to do the work of the maker and the essentials or as little as humanly possible is very likely going to be within the structure of another company, organization, association. Like if you sort of like say, that's the way that I buy myself out of this other work as much as possible, probably never entirely, but as much as possible, then the question becomes what other organizations might be out there? Mm -hmm. that would support my desire to express my advisor as much as possible, to express my sage as much as possible, to speak to it in relation to the topics I'm deeply interested or passionate about. And at the same time, they have the resources and the structure and the people and the teams that handle so much of the part of it that it doesn't really resonate with me that I would also be able to effectively buy myself my way out of doing a whole bunch of that. So I think that's a really interesting seed. You know, like, or, or a question to prompt, um, both for Hilda and for anyone else who's got like their version of this uh, set of questions. Yeah, this is where I get all, uh, all in my feelings when we get to the like six figure coaching and six figure creators and all this sort of whatnot. I was like, well, there are different ways to get there, right? You can say in, in, in our concept, like you can start your own business and you can make those six figures and you can have a life and you could do that kind of whatnot. And how much of your time are you actually going to be doing the thing, right, that you started the business to do, right? And if it's just solving for economics, to your point, maybe we reframe this and say, hey, is there a way, and I've done this with some of my executive coaching clients and some of my other clients, is like we build their job description that they work and start actually crafting more of their job to be in alignment with what they want to do and not 
assume that they have to go out and do it on their own. Because to your point, you go out there and do it on your own. It comes with some cost and some activities that you might not want to do. Um, I know I'm going to frustrate a lot of people, but if you hate marketing, maybe being an entrepreneur is not for you. Right. And that's okay. Right. That is absolutely okay. But I I would actually take maybe out of that sentence, sadly, (laughs) for those who hate marketing. I'm the weirdo who happens to really actually like it, but most people I've learned don't. And it, it is a fundamental part, especially in the early days, in the bootstrap days of saying yes to doing your own thing. It just, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I'm adding the maybe in there is if you partner with someone else, like especially in a technology startup or something like that, you can just be the innovator that loves to build a thing and have a partner who loves marketing. But if you're thinking about going solo, by going solo, you have to be a competent generalist. And part of being a competent generalist means that there are just going to be some tasks that you would rather not do that you got to sort of sit down and get done. And if you're always going to have, if the dread to work ratio is always going to be so high that you never do those pieces, I think we just need to be honest and say, maybe that pathway is not for you, right? And there's an easier pathway to our point where maybe there's an organization, the one you're working at is a great place to start, but there are companies who hire coaches. They do the business of the craft and they hire technicians to do the craft. That's a totally valid way to do it. You're not going to earn as much as you potentially your high end is not going to be as earn, as high as if you, you know, built your own platform and things like that. But that building your own platform, building your own business is a job you got to do, right? And so sometimes it's helpful to think, okay, if I'm trying to make my craft my job, what are the jobs that will let me do the craft the most? And, and I know that might not register with some creators and some entrepreneurs because we're trying to get out of the JLB talk and we're trying to get out of the, the work talk. But if we let go of those labels and the connotations and just be like, I'm going to get up and for six to eight hours of a day, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff related to doing this thing. What's the simplest arrangement that fits with my values, that fits with my needs to get that done? Do that. Do it for three to five years. Level up. You know, you'll create new adjacent possibilities. You'll create new opportunities. Do the next best thing for three to five years. Level up. Do the next best thing for three to five years. You know what? That's how we build careers. Whether it's the entrepreneurial career or whether it's the corporate sort of satisfying career, we're always going to be doing that. And so that's where I want to get into the sort of interest versus passion versus career. Some people want to throw in calling there. Yeah, take us there. Yeah, I think a lot of folks get so wrapped around the axles and like, there's just one thing that I need to do. I have this one calling. Some people know what that is. And that's great. A lot of us don't. That's also great, right? Because we don't think about the flip side of knowing your calling. The flip side of knowing your calling is it's a different type of prison, right? Because it turns out you might want to do a whole bunch of other things, but you know that's your thing. That's the, what people with callings say, right? I, I, I want to do these other things, but I keep coming back to this. And so it's a whole different conversation. But when you don't have that calling, you don't see that side of things, right? And so I think about it this way. Are you doing something that's on purpose? Are you doing something that's in alignment with your values? Are you doing something that's in alignment with your spark? Are you doing something that's providing the economic life that you either need or want? And that's you know, that's debatable. But like, if you can answer yes to a lot of those types of things, maybe you're just exactly where you need to be right now. And when the next thing pops up, you'll be able to see it. But I think if we're always yearning for that thing that's over on the other side, what happens again, grass is greener, we get over there and it's like, oh, this ain't it. There's some other one thing. No, it's not the way it works for a lot of us. It's just where we are. 
and how we build that purpose, how we build meaning, how we build mastery in a craft that we want to do, how we build an economic foundation that supports us and gets us what we're trying to do. Life can be simpler. So, Charlie, what about the conversation around exploring those things serially or simultaneously? So, here's the thing. Renaissance folks are going to get mad at me about this one. I'm, I'm with you all. I'm a polymath myself. I get it. If you're going to do a bunch of simultaneous exploration, you need to accept that you're going to be an amateur at those, right? You can be across the board, or if you spend enough time, you can become a really competent generalist. That's possible. There's a lot of us who are. But that specialist that has spent 10 years focused on that one thing is going to run circles around you. They're going to run circles around me, right? They're going to know that thing and they're going to know it deeply. And here's where that sage piece comes in, right? Because a specialist sage is always going to be able to provide a deeper insight in that field than someone who's ranging, right? Um, Across different things. A ranger will come in and be able to provide new synthetic things, but maybe not at the level of depth and mastery as someone that's a specialist. So I'm going to say, like, you can choose one. I'm not saying you have to choose, like, that you have to be a specialist or that you have to be a generalist. I'm just going to put the cost out on the table and say, which are you willing to accept? Because it's a trade-off. Now, to your point, I have found through my work, through my own personal work as well, that most people thrive when they choose something. Again, I keep coming back to three to five years because you can build serious mastery in that amount of time. If they choose the thing that calls to them the most, say, you know what? I'm going to explore this realm for a while. I know it's not the only thing. I know it doesn't define me completely. I know that it's not like the end all be all, but this is something I care about enough to actually put a ring on and be with long enough to explore it and figure out what the next thing is going to be. So typically what I see to answer your question is it is more satisfying for people who do want to range to think about it in three to five year projects, where it's like, I'm going to go into, you know, human rights and human development and just explore that realm for a while. And then you'll reach a terminal, you'll reach a terminus or you'll reach the next inflection point. It's like, Oh, that got me into macroeconomics. I don't know. I'm just throwing out words here. Right. (laughs) That got me into macroeconomics, and then you do that for a while, right? Um, And that's just because there's a sense of autonomy, mastery, and purpose that starts to kick in, especially that mastery piece, right? Where it's not just you've read all the books, which is great, but you've actually got that real-world evidence that you can speak to, that you can bridge and things like that. So I know we want to carry five to eight different things at once, um, but that's where I would separate between things that you're really truly investing in and things that are interesting. Like I have an interest in astronomy. I do. I love learning about it. I watch shows on it. I watch Nat Geo. I do a lot of things about that, right? But I don't have to monetize it. It doesn't have to be my career. It'll show up in my writing. It'll do what it needs to do. One, Some of the best advice I got, Jim Dietrich, I appreciate you. He's a professor at the University of Central Arkansas. I'll try to make this brief. I was nearly a triple major. Of course I was, right? Um, And so I was sort of struggling because my course load, even though I was taking 21, 24 hours a semester, right? I was like, ah, like I got to take some physics. I got to take some harder classes. And Jim looked at me and he said, Charlie, Art, like, I know you're interested in science, but are you going to go into that field? Like, do you want to do that as a career? And I was like, no. And, you know, it basically came to the point where he said, you know what? Sometimes the best thing you can do is just let a hobby be a hobby. 
Just let an interest be an interest. You don't have to spend the next 18 months. You don't have to spend the next period of time stressing about getting things when it's not going to serve you. But you focus on the things you are going to do as a career that you do want to invest more of your time and energy in and just let it be a hobby. Some of the best advice you can give a polymath 21-year-old, right? Because that's exactly what I did. I have, I'm interested in music. I'm not going to be like Jonathan Fields here and playing on stage. Not what I'm going to be doing, right? I'm interested in motorcycles. And trust me, nobody wants to hear me playing on stage. I'm interested in motorcycles and riding. I'm not going to create a career or a YouTube channel or Instagram thing about that. I'm willing to just let it be something I love and interested in and that I talk to people about. And that's it. Yeah. No, I, I think it's such an important distinction to make. And again, you're not saying this is like one thing to choose and not the other. You're sort of saying like, the, like make a decision intentionally and know what the trade-offs are. Like I tend to think to myself, you know, you know, the question is, does the feeling that I really want to feel through what I'm doing in the world, do I get that more by quenching the desire to pull three, five, seven, nine, ten 10 different threads simultaneously or by focusing on one or two and developing an extraordinary level of competence in them? And does the feeling of competence uh, through that process, again, like you said, over time, this is not going to come in, in a month or two, this is three to five years is a solid range. I agree with that. Is that feeling going to give me much more of what I yearn to feel than the feeling that I get of knowing that I get to wake up on any given morning and pull any one of the 10 threads that you know, like are, are sitting in front of me. For me, on a personal level, it's the, it's the competence. So I tend to go narrow and deep into one or two things. Or actually, let me reframe that. Um, I know I don't always do that. Sometimes I violate my own knowing. Um, but what I do know is that my mantra, when I can honor it, which is fewer things better, is when I feel most nourished and alive and on point in the world. And so part of my work is stopping myself from pulling all the threads at once because I, the way that uh, the maker in me sees a million threads all day, every day that I want to pull. So part of me is not doing that. So just make a conscious choice and know that whatever the choice is, it's going to affect you. Um, and there will be trade-offs in both of those, depending on sort of like how you're wired. Any closing thoughts here, Charlie, before we wrap up? I think we look at some of these trade-offs and we sort of moan them, right? We sort of get frustrated by them. But I, I think when we put them as trade-offs and make the conscious choice, we can always come back to some sense of peace with that decision, right? It's like I chose at a certain point, which means I can make a different choice. Maybe I chose wrong. Okay, right? Um, I The last thing that I want to say here is that I think we think our lives, our cognitive, our exploratory lives are shorter than they are. So Hilda didn't say, you know, um, how, what her age was and, and where she was in her career in life. But when you think about the fact that like with medical science and things like that, most of us are going to live to be thoughtful, productive, contributory people until we're 85 or 90 in the West, right? Um, barring other sort of chronic stuff or genetic stuff. We have time to explore a lot more than people think, right? We don't have to get to 62 or 65 and then retire and then idle for the 20 minutes before or 20 years before we die, right? So wherever we are, especially, again, I keep coming back to three to five years. I talked about that in Start Finishing. Whenever we start thinking like, oh, maybe just this decade, I focus on these two things that I super care about. 
assuming that I have decades after that, right? You can choose the next two things or the next two things. Um, and if you're running short on decades, maybe your best explorations are not going to be ideas, but relationships. Mm, love that. And I think that's a good place for us to, uh, wrap up today. Charlie, thank you so much. As always, Hilda, thanks for the great question and setup, and to our fantastic listening community. Thanks so much for showing up week after week. I hope you're gaining value from these conversations and questions, and we look forward to seeing you here next week again. Take care, everyone. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.